Hey, thanks for tuning in to Acts 23, a verse-by-verse study through the book of Acts. This week, we'll hear a message from Pastor Andy Bowles. We can celebrate here. I want you to be happy here. Well, sometimes I want you to be sad here, but mostly I want you to be happy here. Because, I mean, when you get truth, sometimes you get convicted, and conviction sometimes moves you to a godly sorrow, and a godly sorrow sometimes breaks our heart. But it's all for the purpose of joy, because when you go sowing in tears, you reap joy, right? So, how many of you guys ever heard the phrase, flip the script? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, show of hands real quick, yeah? Flip the script. So, so you guys pretty much know what flip the script means, Right? I mean, it, it, before, before I get too much into that, I just want to say that it's crazy how language changes over time, right? I mean, what, what, was, what was cool one day ain't, ain't cool the other day. I remember whenever I was growing up in the 80s to say bad minute, something was good. You know what I'm saying? Man, that's bad. No, it, what we're saying was that was cool, that was good. Then we said things like psych. Y'all know what psych is, right? <laughs> Man, I was tricking you or I'm lying. So that's what I used it for. And, and so, so flip the script is kind of one of, those, one of those terms, one of those phrases um, that, that mean it's time to divert. It, it's a change of course or change of pattern, sometimes unexpected. It's, it, we, we have a, another terminology that I think kind of pairs up with it. It's to skirt something, right? It's, it's, that's younger lingo, so those guys in the back I got you. We skirted that. And so, but, but to flip the script, right, it's, it's a change of course. It's, it's to deviate from something. It's to now change the plan, change the mind, change the direction. Have you ever been living life and all of a sudden outside of your control something skirted or, or the, the script was flipped, Right. And, 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 and you wasn't planning on it. It wasn't your deviation. It wasn't your changing the plans. It just kind of happened, and it was life, and there it is, and now you've got to do something with it, right? Flip the script. Sometimes we intentionally, for, for the element of surprise or maybe sometimes if we're just speaking totally open and honest and transparent, sometimes we can do something that would flip the script for the purpose of manipulating somebody else, kind of trying to get something on them, we flip the script. Some, sometimes I think that, that usage of the phrase is probably more predominant than at other times. I flip the script on you. It means I, I did it to try to get something over on you. But, but how many times in life, either intentionally by us or maybe more so unintentionally just by life, do, do, we, do we see things changing, <laughs> things deviating from the original plan and kind of catching us off guard? How many times do we read in the Bible to where there was a situation to where the script was flipped, Right? I mean, okay, here we go. Adam and Eve, they're in the garden. Everything's awesome. I mean, they're eating freely from the trees that God planted there for them. And then all of a sudden, flip the script. Devil shows up. 
got a bunch of half-truths, which is whole lies, and tricks them, and there they are. They're a little willing to, to be tricked, by the way. Let me say this, at least, and now this is going out on Spotify and Facebook and other avenues, Apple Podcasts, whatever, so, so there's going to be a larger audience than just what's here tonight that's going to hear this, and possibly there can be people who are not Embracians, is that the right term? Not necessarily us that are going to hear this, but let me say this about us at Embrace. We are some intelligent folks. We smart, ain't we? You turn to your neighbor and say, you smart. Man, we some smart folk. And one thing I know about us is we're not always, probably, probably a larger percent of this is true in times to where we are tricked. Sometimes we're tricked because we want to be tricked because most of the time we're too smart to be tricked. If we're honest about it, right? Adam and Eve, they're in the garden and they, they got some intelligence going on as well. I think there was a, a point, a moment to where they were willing to be duped. They were willing to be tricked. And you, you fast forward and you see, Genesis chapter 6 through chapter 9, the flood comes. There, there, there's, there's a verse in that passage, kind of like there is a verse in the book of Jonah, very similar situations. God is about to rain judgment on Nineveh, just like he rained judgment on the entire world. The global flood took place and flooded, and everybody died except for eight people that were on the ark. But this phrase sometimes catches people up to where it said, and it repented God, and I use the King James. In other words, God is either sorrowed or it makes it look like God changed his mind. Now us on our side of it, we look and we say, wait a minute, God flipped the script. Right? God flipped the script. But again, a way in which God chooses to relate with us, he explains it this way and he says, it repenteth God or grieves God to the point of changing his mind. Did God really change his mind? Can God change his mind? Can one who knows everything and has always known everything from beginning to end and end to beginning really have his mind changed? That's a crazy question, right? I think the only thing that sways the heart of God is us. But I think that God, since he knows all things, can not in an infinite mean, in a sovereign sense, have his mind changed. But in a way to relate with us, it's almost like there were certain times to where God flipped the script, to where God deviated from the plan, to where God changed things up. It's no different in our main text tonight. As we study through the book of Acts this year, we're in Acts chapter 13, and we see where in Acts chapter 13, it's just more of the stamp of approval of God getting the gospel of Jesus Christ out into the Gentile world. Anybody who's not a Christian, that's what Gentile means, or excuse me, not a Jew, that's what Gentile means. Because the Jews are rejecting the gospel in a larger sense, not everybody, but in a larger sense, they are. And so what God is doing in this moment is he's flipping the script, and as he flips the script, he's sending out a couple of disciples, apostles, a couple of guys who are missionaries for God. He's getting ready to 
light the world on fire through the good news of the gospel. He's been doing that, obviously. There's been a lot of things that have led up to this point, but here he's really flipping the script. And we're going to look in Acts chapter 13, and I'm going to make some comments as I go through and read these 43 verses as we've been doing. Next Wednesday night, we'll look at the rest of this chapter. But in Acts chapter 13, verse 1, it says, now, almost to think as though there is a different thought being followed up with, now there were at the church, or in the church, that was at Antioch. Now, just real quick, a, a reminder that the church is not a building, it's not a location, it is a people, right? That's what church is. The church oftentimes met in local areas. The reason that we now see the church is meeting in Antioch is because the gospel has been spread as the church has been persecuted. It begins in Acts chapter 2 in Jerusalem. It kind of is maintained in a sense other than those who received the gospel and were just in Jerusalem visiting during the Pentecost and carries the gospel in other areas. As a matter of fact, at least 13 different places according to how tongues was understood with 13 different tongues and different nationalities. But, but primarily, it's contained in Jerusalem until Saul comes and he's persecuting the church and they scatter out and now we see this pocket of Christians that are meeting in Antioch. Now, the reason that I make this such a big point is as you continue to study this book with us, you'll need to know that Antioch is going to continue continue to be a very important site for Christians. Why is it a very important site for Christians? This is a collection of a strong, gospel-centered group of followers of Jesus who are not going to be bent or swayed by the pressures of the world, but they are going to go out with the good news in the face of adversity, and they're going to preach the gospel, and they're going to send out missionaries, and they're going to see people saved and set free, and they're going to see amazing miracles take place, all because they were growing and stronger in their faith. Antioch, highlight it, underline it. You need to know that. In Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers. And as Barnabas and Simeon, it was called Niger, and Lucius of Serene, and Manian, which was brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. Now that Saul is Paul. You'll see a name change here in just a little bit. And as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called unto them, called them to. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. This is a super, super important setup to this entire message because this is a super, super important setup to this entire chapter. The very reason that we have named a subtitle to tonight's message, Sent Out, is because of these three verses. You see, the, first of all, we see the beautiful diversity of God's faith family and the people that are mentioned there. They're in Antioch, 
And there was the diversity of callings and position within calling certain prophets and certain teachers, but also there was the diversity of the individuals like Barnabas, and we know Barnabas had a specific gift of encouragement. He did so. He had a specific, specific gift of generosity. We saw where he gave a portion of his, his goods that he sold uh, for, for, for the land. He, he laid the, the, the money that he made at the apostles' feet. Then we see Simeon, and we see Lucius, from Cyrene and Manian, and then we know that he was brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. We see that for the body of Christ to be full, there needs to be a diversity among the membership of the body of Christ. No, I'm not just placating the idea of the book of Revelation that says there will be every tribe and every tongue and every nation that will be represented in the greater body of Christians in heaven. We know that when we get to heaven, there's going to be Chinese Christians there and Russian Christians there and Mexican Christians there and American United States of American Christians there. There's going to be Christians represented all over the world, every tribe, nation, and tongue. But what I understand as I continue to read the book of Acts, there needs to be a diversity of Christians within the local body as well. I'm not just talking about nationality. I'm not just talking about the tone of our skin. I'm talking about diversity, not just in geographical locations from where we came from, but even down to the spiritual bones that we have as Christians, as followers of Jesus. You got one guy who has the gifting of encouragement and generosity. But then you also have the certain giftings of others who are able to teach and some others who are able to prophesy. How important is it that we dig deep into the depths of diversity when we consider the people of God and the church of God? God seems to continually be flipping the script. But then in verses four, what did the Holy Spirit say? So they being sent forth, this is verse four, being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, they departed into Cilicia. And from thence they sailed to Cyprus. And they were, when they were at Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had also John to their minister. Now we see the, the first ever I guess we, we need to say it, organized, intentional, and identifiable effort of missions. <laughs> They're together in Antioch, things are happening, spiritual growth is taking place, gifts are understood in diversity and being ministered to through a whole realm of people who have come from different genealogical areas and, and, and now we see the Holy Spirit of God begin to speak because they've been fasting and praying and seeking God for a word and God's Spirit speaks and he says, take Saul, who is Paul, and Barnabas, and separate them unto me and commission them out to go for me. And oh, by the way, this is, I love how the Holy Spirit kind of does this. Go back to verse five on the screen. Oh, and by the way, they had John with them. <laughs> this is John the beloved, John the disciple, the John who wrote 
the gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John in the book of Revelation, this John who Jesus said in the closing chapters of the gospel of John that he wouldn't die until he saw Jesus in his returning and, and he was exiled to the Isle of Patmos in persecution and wrote the book of Revelation and with vision saw the return of Christ. This is that John. It's almost like John is beginning to fade away in the background as these other leaders are beginning to emerge and take on stronger roles. By the way, this is not a leadership course tonight, but that is definitely a leadership point tonight. <laughs> Here, John, that's, that's what he does. And so we see this first missionary journey along with John. He goes along with Paul and, and Barnabas, and he's ministering to them in their need as they go. I can just imagine John the Apostle. Paul gets up and he preaches the gospel. And then afterwards, John comes to him and says, man, you did a great job. Let me tell you what I like about what you said about the gospel. Point, 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 point. But I know John, because he had been with Jesus, and Jesus did the same thing. Jesus would bring them together and said, you did this, but you didn't do this. There's, there's, there's the, the, the positive encouragement and the positive criticism. Can you have that? Let me say this. If you only got people around you who are always saying good things and not confronting you with the negative things, you need to find more people around you. Because you need somebody around you who says, no, you goober, you blew that. You can't keep doing it that way. And they may say it in a lot politer ways than that. And maybe you can find that friend that's got that speech like apples of gold and pictures of silver, so is the word fitly spoken. Or you might find somebody like me. And they're just going to say, quit being an idiot. But John was there and he was doing this ministry. But then notice in verse 6, he says, And when they had gone through the Isle of Patos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus which was with the deputy of the country, Sergius Paulus, a prudent man who called for Barnabas and Saul and desired to hear the word of God from them. But Elimaeus, the sorcerer, for, so is his name by interpretation, withstood them, encountered them, conflicted with them, seeking to turn away the deputy from the faith. And then Saul, who is also called Paul, since we're clarifying everybody's names, Elimaeus the sorcerer, for his name is by interpretation. Now we see Paul, and so Paul, who is called, excuse me, Saul, who's called Paul from this point forward, filled with the Holy Ghost, set his eyes on him. And this is where things get really dicey. Don't you guys like it when you've got that friend? That friend to where when you go in public, you're a little bit on pins and needles because you don't know exactly what he's going to do or what he's going to say. Anybody got that friend? Yeah. If you didn't raise your hand, you might be that friend. <laughs> Just saying. Paul catches this cat trying to take a dude away from the faith and he ain't going to stand for that because he knows sometimes there's wolves in sheep's clothes and he's going to take the rod and he's going to beat that wolf away. And he said... Oh, full of all craftiness, trickiness, that's what that word means, and mischief. <laughs> I don't know, this, this next part just gives me validity sometimes. 
thou child of the devil. I know you wanted to call people that before. I saw a kid acting up at the hospital today. I want to see you child of the devil. <laughs> thou enemy of all righteousness, will thou not cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you should be blind, not seeing the sun for a season. And immediately there fell on him a mist in the darkness, and he went about seeking someone to lead him by the hand. And the deputy, when he saw what was done, said, I ain't gonna be a part of that dude. He believed being astonished at the doctrine of the Lord. Now, when Paul and his company loosed from Patus, they came to Pergia and Pamphylia, and John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. John, John, after that little bit, said, deuces, I'm out, right? But what we see here in these verses is there's, there's, there's going to be conflict and, and, and confrontation because there's always going to be an enemy. There's always going to be an enemy to the gospel, I'm going to speak real quick to the young Christians that are here. If you are a young Christian, this is what I want you to know. There will always be somebody out there who wants to do their best to turn your focus, attention, affection away from Jesus and onto themselves. They're not going to come to you and tell you that they want that affection, attention uh, for them. That They're going to try to say it's for something else. They just want to come in. They just want to hang out. They just want to be a buddy, right? That, that's what their intentions, at least in their minds and their hearts, that, that they want for you to think that's in their minds and their hearts. But in reality, they want to rob you away from Jesus and the faith and the gospel to be a part of their life. They want you to affirm and agree with and say, Submit to their will, plan, and method of living instead of that of Jesus. Because this is the deal. If you hang around them enough, your lifestyle in Jesus convicts them. People get squirrely when they get convicted. I have seen people do all kind of crazy things when the Holy Spirit convicts them. This is the fact about conviction. Either you can run from it or you can run to it. Run from it, then you'll be rejecting one of the greatest opportunities you ever have in your life, and that's being right with God. If you run to it, you will experience the greatest depths of freedom that you've ever had the opportunity of experiencing. <laughs> and so, so this confrontation happens, this conflict is there. But then in verse 14, when they departed from, from Pergia, they came to Antioch, and Poseidon, and went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and sat down. It's what they did. It's, it was a normal custom for a Jew to go on Saturday to the synagogue to have church, basically, like what we would do. It's, it's not that the Jew doesn't, after receiving Jesus, doesn't believe in the Old Testament. They just understand the Old Testament better. And they don't understand the Old Testament better as to try to keep the laws of the Old Testament because they understand, according to Galatians chapter 3, that the Old Testament, the law, was a schoolmaster to teach us that we're broken and we can't do anything to save ourselves. They go into the synagogue a little bit straighter standing, a little bit more perked in their attention because they're waiting on the door to be cracked or the window to be open so that they can get the opportunity to explain the shadows of the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, and how it is made true in the light of the New Testament or the New Covenant. 
And so this is what he says in verse 15. And after reading the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent unto them, saying, ye men and brethren, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, say on. You talk about putting your foot in your mouth. You got Paul and Barnabas. They're Jews, but they're converted Jews, and they're preachers of the gospel, and you just gave them open mic. Do you know why we don't do that in embrace? <laughs> but this is what they do. They're like, hey, guys, we're glad you're here today. Is there anything you'd like to say? <laughs> and guess who stands up? Then Paul stood up. He beckoned them with his hand and said, men of Israel, and ye that fear God, listen up, give audience. And he begins to preach. The God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and exalted the people when they dwelt as strangers in the land of Egypt and with a high arm brought them out of it. He is bringing a history lesson all the way from the beginning of the nation of Israel, right? And about the same time, of 40 years, suffered with their manners in the wilderness. A polite way of saying, man, they acted stupid out in, the, out in the desert, and God kept them out there because they kept acting stupid. Verse 19, forgive me, by the way, if, you don't, if that's a bad word in your home. I say that word a lot, because sometimes I say it a lot. Anyway, verse 19, I digress. And, and when he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan. He divided their land unto them by lot. And after that, he gave unto them judges about the space of 450 years until Samuel the prophet. We've gone from Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Numbers. Now, now, now we're here in, in Joshua. We're passed through Joshua. Now we're in the book of, of, of Judges. We passed through Judges. Now we're in First and Second Samuel, verse 21. And after they desired a king, who would that be? Saul. And he gave them Saul, the son of Sis, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, by the space of 40 years. And when they had removed him, of course, we know what happened to him in his own demise, fell on his own sword, and the kingdom was relented. Now to David to be their king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I found David, the son of Jesse, a man after mine own heart, which has fulfilled all of my will. And of this man's seed hath God, according to his promise, raised up unto Israel a savior, Jesus. He stops with David as a king. Now, real quick, theological lesson, a lot of doctrine here, but if you want to dive deeper into this, you can go back and study and understand why he stopped with David. He stopped with David because it was a promise with a covenant from God with David that David's lineage would always sit on the throne of God. How is that a reality? What was just Solomon or Solomon's sons who divided the kingdom, why does he skip all of this other history? Because he's brought them to the point of a beloved king, a rescuing king, a king that took a divided kingdom and brought it together through war and united it and passed it along with peace unto his son so that he could say, oh, but wait a minute. There, there's another one. His name is Jesus. Verse 23, of this man's seed hath God, according to his promise, raised unto Israel a Savior, Jesus. When John had first preached, before his coming of his baptism, this is John the Baptist, of repentance to all the people of Israel, and as John fulfilled his course, he said, who do you think I am? I'm not him. Sometimes, some people were saying, John the Baptist, he's the Messiah. He says, I'm not him. 
But behold, there's one that's come. I'm not even worthy to untie that guy's shoes and take them off of his feet. Men and brethren, children of the stock of Abraham, taking them back to that thought again, Father Abraham, and whosoever among you that fears God, if you know you don't identify as a guy from Abraham, to you is the word of this salvation sent. God has got a very plan and a very reason while they were there in that synagogue on that Sabbath day because God's always got a calendar and God's got your name on the days of his calendar. You, you need to get this, okay? Sometimes we can feel forgotten, pushed to the side. We can sometimes feel like we are a nobody making no difference. But understand this. God is... This is going to sound strange. He is 100% all the time focused on you. Man, that can make our head blow up, right? Our head can swell and say, look at me. God's paying attention to me. He doesn't sleep nor slumber. He's always watching over his children. He's watching you in the middle of the night, not creepily, by the way, <laughs> but caringly. He is watching over you. He is... He is intentionally investing all of his attention and focus on you and 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 he can do all of that at one time because he is that big and much bigger. And on his calendar, he knows where you are, what you're doing, and why you're doing it. On his calendar, he knew that June the 21st, you would be at Embrace Church. Maybe it's because of where you go. Maybe it's because of the habit of what you do. Maybe you were just invited. Maybe you just showed up. But he knew you were going to be here. And cause, it's because God's got a plan. The plan for you may be freedom. The plan for you may be understanding and knowledge. The, pre uh, the, the plan for you may be, may be salvation. The, the, plan, the plan for you could vary based on what you need. But for these guys in this text, it was for salvation to be sent for verse 27 they that dwell at jerusalem and their rulers because they knew him not nor yet the voices of the prophets which are are read every sabbath day they have fulfilled them in condemning him guys don't you understand that the old testament taught us that this would happen about the messiah jesus to whom john the baptist was proclaiming and though they found no cause of death in him jesus Yet desired they Pilate that he should be slain. We know that Jesus stood before Pilate. And when they had fulfilled all that was written of him, the prophecies of Jesus, they took him down from the tree or the cross and laid him in a sepulcher or a tomb or a grave. Somebody read verse 30. <laughs> Amen. I think, I think every time, every time I, I think about the resurrection of Jesus or read something about the resurrection or we sing songs about the resurrection of Jesus, I get a picture of hell. And it's almost, you, you ever seen one of the movies to where there's an earthquake and all of a sudden there starts to be flakes and rocks from the ceiling falling? That's what I think. Get some of that hell. But God raised Jesus from the dead. And he was seen many days of them which came up with them from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are his witnesses unto the people. And we declare unto you glad tidings, how that the promise which was made unto the fathers, God hath fulfilled the same unto their children, uh, unto us their children, in that he hath raised up Jesus again, as it also 
as it is also written in the second psalm. He's going to start going through the songs of psalm now. Thou art my son, and this day I have begotten thee. And it's concerning that he had raised him up from the dead. Now, no more to return to corruption. He said on this wise, another psalm, I will give unto you the sure mercies of David. Wherefore, he hath also said in another psalm, thou will not suffer thine holy one to see corruption. For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell asleep and was laid into his father's and saw corruption. We know it wasn't talking about David, but he whom God had raised again saw no corruption. Get that, hell. Verse 38, but it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. Why is it so impactful that he says unto them, today the word of salvation is sent unto you because salvation means that you can be freed from the pains of your sin. And by him, all that believe are justified, just as if you'd never sinned, from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest that come upon you which was spoken in the prophets. I like the way this guy preaches. And I should. He's Paul the Apostle and wrote 13 letters in the Bible. But he, he's, he's bringing the history. He's bringing the application. He's bringing the truth. He's talking about salvation and the gospel. And then he tells them what's going to happen to them if they don't receive the gospel. I like that kind of preacher. Because that kind of preacher is, is very rare nowadays for a guy to stand up in front of an audience and tell them you can be saved if you trust in Jesus. And if you trust in Jesus, you get to go to heaven when you die and you get to experience moments of heaven on this earth as you live. But the fact of the matter is, if you reject Jesus to be your personal Savior and Lord, then the fact is not something that Andy imagined. And this is not a part that I necessarily like, but I'm responsible responsible to preach that if you reject Jesus, then you will spend an eternity in hell where there is weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth and the worm does not die and it is void of the presence of God. It's a real place where real people die a real death and spend a real eternity in a real anguish and torment. So he says, beware. Therefore, lest that come upon you which is spoken in the prophets. Behold, you despisers and wonders and perish. Despisers and wonder and perish. For I work a work in your days, a work which you shall no wise believe, though a man declare it unto you. And when the Jews were gone out of the synagogue, the Gentiles besought that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath day. Must have been a good sermon. Anytime you're asked to preach the same sermon twice, it was good, Right? Now when the congregation was broken up, many of the Jews and religious proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, he'll be known as Paul from this point on, no more confusion, who speaking to them persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. So God's flipping the script. One of the ways in which God decided to flip the script is he sent out two missionaries. As he sent out these two missionaries, they go and they get opportunity and they look for opportunity because they desire opportunity for the gospel of Jesus to be spread. One thing that I love to do in conversation, if you've ever been around me for an extended period of time, whether it's in the public around here in Forest, conversations in my office with people who come in for needs to be met, or whether it be on a mission trip, I love to be talking about one subject, and as I'm talking about one subject, find a way in my mind to flip the script on that subject so that I can share the gospel. I, I, I'm, I'm 
don't want to share a whole lot of stories, but one, one story, and I think you guys might have heard me say this before, but in Jackson Newton, one time we were there after a basketball game, and we're in line, and it's a big line of our basketball players, and we're getting ready to get food, and there was about three guys and, and a girl who came in, and they saw that line, and they're looking at their watch, and they come up to me, and they say, hey, man, do you mind if we cut in front of you? And so I'm like, this is so simple. I could have just said, yeah, go ahead, and that would have been it. But I ain't that. I'm, I'm, I'm way too much to be that. And so I say, let's play pop, paper, rock, scissors. And so I play paper, rock, scissors with him. And whoever wins paper, rock, scissors, that's what we'll do, right? How many of you have ever played paper, rock, scissors against me? I never lose. I never lose. What are the, what are the three elements of paper, rock, scissors? It's in the name of the game. Paper, rock, scissors. This is exactly right. Paper beats a rock, and rock beats a scissors, and scissors beats the paper, right? But if you've ever played me, you know that I put a curveball in there, and I bring out Jesus. This is Jesus. And Jesus always wins. Jesus never loses. When I'm playing paper, rock, scissors, even if that person is not a believer, they're an atheist, they still have to bow down to this. Jesus wins. And so at Jack's, here we are late one night. We're trying to get some food before we head home for after basketball. And there's the guys. They come in. They want to cut in front of us. I'm thinking to myself, I could do this and get home a whole lot quicker, but I'm in line waiting anyway. Might as well four more be in front of me as the 15 are anyway. So paper, rock, scissors, and I pull out Jesus. Jesus wins. Now, they got to cut in front of us anyway because it's a little bit of a cheat code with that, right? But I'll flip the script because after that, then I could talk about Jesus since I brought up Jesus. You know what I'm saying? How stupid is that, right? But it worked. So always looking to flip the script. God is in this moment, he's, he's getting ready to flip the script. What sometimes we need to do with ourselves is flip the script because what we do is we get into a certain mode of living that we become robotical in the way we live. I'm not saying there's anything bad with structure. I love structure. I think you should have structure. I have a lot of structure. You can look at my calendar and see that I got structure. But we perform instead of live sometimes. <laughs> we wake up and we punch the clock and we do our thing and we go to bed and we do the same thing the next day and it's nothing but a mindless perpetual circle. Guys, you are not rats in a cage, a lot of activity going nowhere. That's not who you are. You are free. <laughs> you are free. You may have to do these certain things like wake up, punch in, do your work, and do it again the next day, but man, wouldn't it be so much better if your perspective, if you just flip the script for just a moment and begin to look at life a little bit differently and said, you know what, I don't have to mundanely do the same things in the way that I've been doing them every day. I can be one who is... You see, God can do something not just for you, but your family and for the generations after you, flipping the script and sending you out. What, what do you mean, Andy, sending you out? There is nothing different between Acts 13 and June the 21st, Paul and Barnabas and you. Be, be sent out. What, what, do you, what do you mean when you say, be sent out? Understand that the world is your mission field. Matthew, can you help me out? Barlow, can you help me out? 
I got something I want to get these guys to pass out to you. I hope I won't make a squeaking noise coming down this far. It's a map. Might have to turn the house lights up just a little bit for these guys to see this, but it's just a little black and white map of Scott County. I understand some of you guys may not live in Scott County, but I'm not spending the money printing out every county in the state of Mississippi. So here you are for illustration. <laughs> the, the, to understand that the world is our mission field. Did you get the opportunity to wake up and look at the world and say, God has called me to have dominion over all of this and carry the gospel unto the world. I am to start in my Jerusalem and go unto the uttermost part of the world with the good news of Jesus. If the good news of Jesus is good news, is it good news for everybody? Amen is for everybody. We should attempt to reach the world. And so looking at this little map here, if you got a pen, so what I want you to do, you might be old like me and have to use glasses, but take your pen, I know it's a little bit blurred, but take a pen and, and put a little circle where you live. You can just set them on the front row. Thank you, guys. Put, put a little circle where you live. Now, now take the pen and... Now draw a little circle where you work. And you say, well, Andy, I work all over the place. Put the circle where your, your, your launching pad is for your work. Or maybe you just want to put a bunch of X's around where you might be working. Where you, where you work at. What, what about your school? And it may not be for you. It may be for your kids. What about their schools? Put an X or put a circle where school might be. Put a circle where shopping might be. There ought to be a lot of circles around Walmart. It's close to Interstate 20. It is the Scott County Mall. What about sports? Where your kids, your grandkids play sports. Where you like to hang out and have entertainment. Where, where you do your leisure activity. Maybe you're circling a lake. Understand, when you step out your front door, the world is your mission field, but you have to start in your world for you to have a mission. <laughs> Hold on to that map for just a moment. The next thought is, if the world is our mission, then we are to go. We have to make it a point to wake up and go to more than just work, more than just school, more than just shopping, more than just the fields, more than our leisurely places. Mission means investment, integrity, and effort. We are to go. And if we are to go because the world is our mission, then we get the privilege because we're not mundane. We're, we're not doing this without cause, rhyme, or reason. We are empowered by the Holy Spirit and by the command of God. We are to go with power. You don't have to go with the weakness of fear and trepidation, but you can go with the empowerment of the Holy Spirit and the command of God, God's word, and you can go with boldness, and you can go with courage, 
and you can go with the confidence that if God told you to go, then God is going not just with you, but he's behind you and he's before you. He is around you. There's nothing you can go into that he has not already gone into. So if the world is your mission, and this kind of represents your world, and you are to go every day with power, at least if we're thinking through this passage and it's an example for our living, then we know that sometimes our going will face some conflict. We might run into Elimaeus, a sorcerer, who's trying to trick a new convert or trying to keep us from preaching the gospel or sharing the way we live for Jesus. We're going to... The the, the fact of the matter is, guys, we are warriors on a battlefield that should expect the experience of conflict. 1 Peter 4, 12, beloved thing and not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing has happened. It's going to happen. But when it happens, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this through the trying your faith works patience. It's okay that those who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. It's all right that there is conflict. Conflict does not always have to be something that affects our intestinal digestion. It can be something that can encourage our spiritual progression, knowing that we got an enemy and he is against us, but he is not going to stop us. Why? Because the world is our mission field. We're called to go. (laughs) We go with power and we go with the awareness that we're a warrior, so it's going to be conflict. And so do me a favor and take this map and see all the dots and the dashes and the X's that you've put on there. And you see everything that your life affects and touches. And now I want you to ask, answer this question just to yourself. Am I on mission? Am I living the lifestyle of being sent out to these areas? You will never reach the world if you don't start reaching your world. You got to start reaching your world. See, the the wonderful thing about the the, the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 and 20, and that that, that conclusion of it in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it can happen simultaneously. It doesn't have to mean Jerusalem first, get everybody saved, then go to uh, Samaria and then Judea and and the It can happen simultaneously, but one thing I've learned about being sent out is it will never happen simultaneously until it happens first, where you are. (laughs) And so you've got to find yourself committed. Is it going to carry me outside of my box? Hallelujah. Stop being comfortable and lazy and get outside your box. Ain't no, ain't no need to worry about that, right? The one who created all things is with you. It's okay. 
Go out and be confident and be bold and share the gospel and know you're going to come into conflict and know you're going to be rejected, but also know that there is somebody in the world around you that is in that world of that map that you got who desperately needs the hope of Jesus. And you may be the only one sent out to them. And so if you live not sent out, they won't get the graciousness of God that you've got. So we can't be selfish. How selfish is it when a person knows and has the cure of a disease but is unwilling to share the cure? You have the cure to the disease called sin. His name is Jesus. You know Jesus, right? The conqueror of your flesh, the savior of your soul, the rescuer and the one who has given you his righteousness and freedom. It's worth sharing even on a tiresome conclusion of a Wednesday night. Hump day, right? Let's make tomorrow different. This is what I get the privilege of doing right now. Everybody look up at me. If you are a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, there has been a time in your life to where you recognize you were a sinner and by faith you turned from your sin and you placed your faith in Jesus. In that moment you were born again, you said, Jesus, I will follow you all the days of my life. That's the person I'm talking to. Tonight in the name of Jesus, I commission you out. Be sent out with the gospel. Be sent out with the gospel. If you run into trouble, thank God for it. And you keep sharing the gospel because somebody out there is waiting on you. If you would bow your heads with me. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you so much that you've seen fit to give us this truth. Lord, we need it so desperately. God, use us to be your people sent out for your glory. Lord, just like you flip the script in our life, flip the script in somebody else's life through the gospel presentation that we give. There's people out there hitting it tonight. Now, there's people out there living lifestyles that are the lifestyles we used to live. God, we know how we needed you. God, I'm praying that you flip the script for them, that you bring Holy Spirit conviction, that you help us get the word of the gospel to them. Let it be the word of salvation sent for them. That Jesus died, was buried, rose from the dead for our forgiveness, for their forgiveness. God, don't let us be stingy with that good stuff. May you be exalted and honored through it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.